This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you as always. Hope you had a good weekend. I'm sure uh, many of you are still shaking off the... (laughs) After last night's very surprising... Super Bowl win for the Patriots. I mean, surprising in that I was among those who, in the third quarter, decided that this was enough was enough. I was up very I had to get up earlier this morning. I did a Maria Bartiromo show on Fox Business for three hours. So I figured I should get some sleep. Decided to call it a night in the third quarter. Went back to my apartment where I do not have cable, as you know. And so I had to get the updates via text from my brother's that the Patriots pulled off, uh, as you all have seen, an incredibly improbable under the circumstances comeback, 28-3. And as much as I think the Patriots are the evil empire of football, uh, I have to give them some credit. You know, sometimes sometimes you got to look at the Death Star and just say, that's a pretty big weapon. And the Patriots were, were impressive last night, even though I, admit, I had to see the highlights of how they made the comeback. I missed the initial, uh, the, the the live coverage of it as it happened. <clears throat> so the uh, Super Bowl last night, there's uh, some effort to have a, a lot of uh, political discussion about what was what the commercials were, and I, I didn't find it particularly uh, irritating one way or the other. I thought Lady Gaga did a fine job at the Super Bowl halftime show. I had, I had read that she might come out and, and there might be some sort of a uh, political statement, and I, I'm sure if I were to dive into the lyrics, uh, there were there were messages that Ms. Gaga, whom as a total side note by the way, was a year ahead of my little brother in high school, and was dating a, an upperclassman from my brother's school when she was in high school. So uh, she went to uh, just as uh, as I- I- Ivanka Trump came to the Regis Junior prom. Believe it or not, with yours truly, which I mean, I don't even really believe it in retrospect now. Uh, but also, Lady Gaga, I believe, made an appearance at the Regis prom. Uh, whether it was junior or senior, I do not know. Uh, so Regis High School, a a somewhat a wonderful and somewhat nerdy institution, uh, scholarship Jesuit school, has has had its fair share of uh, rather prominent uh, young ladies to go through there uh, over over the period of years. So Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga. Uh, did her thing, and I have to say it was bringing me back to like 2006, 2007 with some of those hits. Uh, but she was, it was 
it was fine. Uh, there was nothing. By not being political, I think she actually made a much bigger statement or it was a much better career move than doing the obvious, which would have been to pull a Madonna and get up there and just make a complete fool of yourself with the idea that this is going to look good or, or play well on the left. And certainly there's a lot of virtue signal that goes on these days. And there's a recognition that the crazier you are in your Trump opposition and in your Trump hatred, the more it seems um, many in Hollywood and in music and media uh, want to support you. So, yeah, Super Bowl last night. It was fine. Yeah, it was fine. I was just surprised. It was almost like watching two different games. With the Fa- the Falcons were the first game, and then the second game was the Patriots. Uh, they, they it was like parallel universes, or or I should say universes in succession. One went one than the other. Um, but overall, it was uh, it was enjoyable. I hope you had fun wherever you were. My favorite part of the night was hanging out with uh, Ms. Molly and my brothers, my dad, and one of my brothers' uh, significant others, and eating a lot of barbecue, which was fun. Uh, brisket is fantastic. It really is. It's among, among the, the great pleasures in life that I, that I can think of. It's really uh, well-seasoned and moist brisket. So let's get into some of the news of the day. Uh, also, though, a, a reminder to those of you listening um, live or if you're listening to the podcast right after the show today, uh, I will be starting in national syndication tonight, 6 to 9 p.m., Premier Radio Networks is the syndicator. They're the syndicator for Glenn Beck's show from 9 to 12, Rush 12 to 3, Sean 3 to 6, and then I will be 6 to 9 after Sean. So uh, very exciting stuff. I'm going to go down this afternoon, in fact, and see the new studio and meet with meet with the team. And pretty much I'm, I'm plug and play with the, with the radio stuff. So as long as there's a mic that's on, I'll do the show. And it's going to be awesome. And uh, I, I say this, I bring this up because I really want the team to uh, support me as much as, as you are all willing to. If you can even call in in the first few weeks, first few days, it will be great to hear some of your friendly and familiar voices as I uh, tackle this new and very exciting challenge and trying to bring the Freedom Hut to even more uh, folks across the country, bringing it to even more homes or, I suppose, into more uh, eardrums. So that's tonight. Uh, it's going to be very exciting stuff and uh, quite, a, quite a long day, for even in, by media standards. I think it was up at 5 a.m. I'll probably be able to actually get to bed around or start getting thinking about the end of my day around and 10 p.m. tonight, I guess. So that's a long one. That is a long one. All right. Um, what was the... Oh, yes. Uh, so this morning I had a chance to go on to the uh, Bartiromo show. And uh, spend some time. Maria's show is great, by the way. If n- none of you have ever watched it for some reason. If you haven't seen it, I really recommend uh, you give it a shot if you're up in the morning. They, they do a great job. They have really smart people on uh, as guests. And they mix it up so they get you get your news, the business news, main news stories, and also some, some lighter stuff because it is the morning. And you don't want to just bombard people with constitutional crises and you know the latest... Uh, the latest histrionics from the press corps about how Donald Trump is really an, an agent of Russian intelligence or whatever, whatever the issue du jour may be for them. Uh, so the, the the big thing, and it's kind of fun for me because rarely, I think, do you get to break news or handle breaking news uh, around the 6 p.m. Eastern hour. Um, and tonight, it looks like there'll be a decision that comes down right around then with regard to the ban on the ban. 
So Trump has this executive order. We've been talking about this, of course, although I missed a good portion of it last week because I was, as I've told you, so, so sick. And then actually had a little bit of a relapse on Friday. Sorry, I was out team. I had another uh, health issue I had to deal with. So it was a t- last week was a tough week. Uh, but certainly you've all been following or hearing about this Trump uh, executive order on immigration, the so-called Muslim ban. And you have the Ninth Circuit, uh, which is a very, uh, very liberal circuit. Um, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, which is in San Francisco, is going to be giving a some sort of a, a decision tonight. And that's the expectation, at least. They declined to issue an immediate stay of Judge Robart's order. Um, so the Ninth Circuit, again, a liberal, a, as liberal a circuit as you're going to find, um, although, the, of course, the D.C. Circuit Court is now stacked with Obama, Obama loyalists because of the elimination of the nuclear option. Very savvy move, uh, very destructive, I think, to the country, but a very savvy move from the Obama administration to put uh, committed career leftists in lifetime appointee slots in the D.C. Circuit and to be able to just assembly line them through without even so much as a, as a meaningful peep from the Republicans. That will be one of the longest, that will be one of the longest legacies of the Obama administration, to be sure. Uh, okay, so the Ninth Circuit is going to be looking at this, or coming down with a, a decision on this, a, a stay on the ban, or as I like to call it, a, a ban on the ban, and they will be weighing in with what the specifics are, um, with what the specifics are on why it is that there are these these different courts that have come up with objections either to different different parts of this Trump executive order. You know, I, I we can get into some of the legalese of this, and, and you'll see a lot of that. And all of a sudden, of course, everybody's a, an expert on the extent of constitutional law. But there's that's, that starts to turn into an unfair criticism, I think, too, when you're talking about someone in the media. They've got to cover things. They're bringing you news and information and analysis. So if you're going to cover the news of the day, you can, not everyone's going to be an expert in all the things. This is why we have guests who call into you know, this show, every show. This is why you have panels on TV and you're trying to bring as much good information to bear as you can and put in the proper context. Here's the context as I see it, especially in light of some of the polling that Slate, which is a left-wing site, for example, showed in the early days a 7% margin in favor of the ban. There was a 7% margin that was pro-ban overall. Now that's gone down and I saw there's a CNN ORC poll that says that you know, now it's less than 50% supported but that could be the polling it could also Trump tweeted of course about this and said the polling is fake and it's fake news he is um, Trump has always got something spicy to say uh, or to tweet um, but the, the reason that you could have a poll that shows that at any stage of this a majority of the American people agreeing is there's just such a divergent view between the average American, particularly the average American who does not live in one of the Democrat stronghold megacities on the coasts, uh, or, or Chicago, I suppose, on the coast of a Great Lake, but uh, there's a, a very different view. If, forget about the nitty-gritty, the legalese, the specifics of whether the judge is going to throw out part of the executive order or all of it, or is, is going to say that this is somehow exceeding cons- uh, the president's constitutional and statutory authority. 
And that's this. There are plenty of Americans who feel like there needs to just be a, a reestablishing of a sense of sovereignty in this country, I mean that we have control over the borders and that our elected representatives are reflecting the will of the people with regard to control within this country. And step one of controlling a country is having control of the security of who's coming and who's going. That's at least one way of looking at this. That's, that's one viewpoint. And I think it's very widely held. Uh, well, I should say step one is defending us, and step two maybe is part of defending us is making sure that we have secure borders and an understanding of who's coming and who's going. Now, you see the media, they're very upset about this. And, the, and they're upset about it because they say it is, and I've, I've had a couple of even public exchanges on Twitter with uh, the New York Times' top ISIS analyst who follows me, and we, we've had exchanges before, and uh, one of the national security correspondents over at CNN. He sometimes likes to quasi-troll me, and we have little exchanges there as well. And what I see from them is that they say that the ban doesn't work, the ban... And I, I, I also disagree with the term ban. The problem is the administration has been using it. So it's very hard to defend, or rather, it's very hard to criticize the media for using a term that the administration also uses and say, don't use it. I think that there is a, there is a clear intellectually honest case to be made for how this is not a ban, but if they're going to call it a ban, then then ban becomes fair play. So uh, looking at this, though, the media is upset with it because they view it as a bad policy. Well, for, for, first and foremost, forget about whether it works or not. There's is it mean, and then there's does it work, and then there's is it constitutional. And they take it in that order. Whereas I think most Americans look at it in the exact reverse order with is it constitutional, does it work, and then is it mean? And by mean, I mean is does it make people feel like their Muslims are being singled out, and, and even though there's 50 Muslim-majority countries in the world and this only touches on seven of them. Uh, so that's it's a complete shift in perspective. It's a difference of the underlying premises of how one approaches this, whether I'm talking about people from the New York Times, CNN, they look at this and they say that this is against our core values because it is, we're so pro-diversity and the, what is it, the poem of the Statue of Liberty and give me your tired, your weak, you're hungry, whatever it is. And we're a nation of immigrants and all this ideological stuff that they factor into it. And then they also get into, well, we haven't had immigrants with a successful terrorist attack before, but they start to get a little lawyerly in the terminology. You'll notice that because there have been attempts by refugees before and because ISIS has been perfecting this for its own purposes in Europe and clearly wants to do it here in America as well. And the worst thing for the refugee program would be if a refugee did manage to engage in a successful attack on U.S. soil. Because then you'd have to shut down the whole refugee program, and also you'd have a bunch of dead Americans and people looking for answers. So that is the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario is not a 120-day pause in accepting uh, Muslim refugees uh, from a, a, a small portion of overall Muslim-majority countries. But they look at it first as it's mean, and then it's not effective, and then it's we'll, we'll find a way to make it so that it's not constitutional. I think the constitutionality of this is clear. I don't think there's a, a, a real argument or debate on that based on existing, uh, pre, pre-existing and, and previously established uh, 
actions by the commander in chief, um, by congressional statute that's still out there, that's good law, and by just any number of precedents you can point to. Uh, but conservatives look at this, I shouldn't say conservatives, um, those who support this, because I think it goes beyond conservatives, and I know some conservatives don't like this, they view it as, well, hold on a second, He has, if he has the authority to do it, and then there's the chance that it's effective, right? So we're taking this in reverse order. He does have the authority. It could have some efficacy in preventing a future terrorist attack. We don't care that it looks like it might be mean or it looks like it's politically incorrect for some reason because we just don't care. It's a clash of worldviews you see happening here. It's really not as much about the legalese and all of that. It's much more there are some Americans who sit or sit around and say to themselves, uh, if we have to slow down the inflow of of people from seven predominantly Muslim countries and that has a one in a hundred chance of stopping a mass casualty terrorist attack, that's a deal we'll make a hundred times and twice on Sunday. Whereas the pro-Hillary, Democrat, pro-Obama, leftist journalist perspective on this is how could we sell out our core principles of being a, a near de facto open borders state? Um, and and how could we allow the executive branch to do something that is not... These, remember, these are the same people that want to ban all guns because it might prevent some future terrorist attack, right? But they say it's it's the, the efficacy is not worth... Is, is not high either. So they're just taking these in complete reverse order. And what you see is a, a clash of ideologies through the lens of the law and the constitutionality of this. But really, it's just they don't like it, those who oppose this. They don't like it. It's not because the president doesn't have the power to do it. And those who say the president has the power to do it look around and say, we don't care if other people don't like it. If it keeps us safe, that's all we that's all we want to get to here. Um, phone lines open 888-900-3393 team. Uh, we're going to hit a quick break. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The sponsor this half hour is com. There is simply no better place to go when it comes to service, selection, uh, price, you name it. The best possible place to pick out a silencer for your firearm to get a suppressor is silencershop.com. You simply go online, go to their website. You can read testimonials. You can reach out to their customer service. They'll make sure that if you decide to get a silencer, that you get the paperwork processed as quickly as possible. They submit more forms to the ATF than anybody else in the business, so they are definitely the place to go. And a silencer is a must-have accessory for you when you're out there shooting, if you're out in the range, 
Um, you're going to enjoy shooting much more, and you're also going to look cool. So that's always fun. SilencerShop.com. Again, that is SilencerShop.com. Um, don't have too much time to go much more into the details here on the Trump uh, the Trump throwdown uh, with the judiciary over this executive order, at least a part of the judiciary. Uh, we'll get into more of that after the break. I do think the decision is going to be coming down tonight, which could be quite a uh, could have some serious ramifications, could be quite a shock, a shock, a jolt to the administration. I think it should come down right around 6 p.m. when I go Eastern time, when I go on air into syndication with our first syndicated show tonight, which is very exciting stuff. And if you're just joining his team, uh, you can go to uh, americanowradio.iheart.com for the uh, show page. So please do check it out. 888-900-3393. We've got much more coming. Stay with me. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, welcome back. We are joined now by Laura Wilkerson. She is chairman of Enforce the Law, which is an organization that she formed in order to advocate for enforcing America's immigration laws, defunding sanctuary cities, and securing the border. Laura, thank you very much for calling in. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, excuse my voice a little bit. I've been sick and trying to recover. Oh, I try. I can completely sympathize. I was out with the flu all last week. I could barely speak. I could barely move. So I hope you feel better. I'm sorry to hear about. Uh, sorry to hear about that, uh, Laura. Can you please just tell everybody a little bit of uh, of your background, how how you got involved in advocating for the enforcement of America's immigration laws and and the securing of our borders? Well, in 2010, um, my husband and I have three children, and Joshua was my youngest child, and he was brutally murdered, tortured, murdered, and then set on fire by somebody that was in this country illegally. And um, at that time, I guess when the detectives were going through it, you know, I asked, you know, where they told me he was here illegally. And I said, where are his parents? And then they told me we can't ask them. And that always stuck with me that they couldn't ask them where they are. You know, they can pull us over on the street anywhere we're going and say, you know, Miss Wilkerson, where have you been? Where are you going? And in a few minutes, it comes out in the wash and you're free to go home. And it always stuck with me about that. And that was my first uh, foray, I guess, into sanctuary cities. And that, uh, you know, it just stuck with me. And I decided we have to do something about that. There's no way that people get sanctuary from the law that are already here in this country illegally. Now, I know you, you had a, an exchange uh, with, with Nancy Pelosi uh, in which she, of course, ex- expressed her her. Um, her sympathies, but then went on to say that illegals, uh, illegal aliens in cities and sanctuary cities across the country uh, don't break the law, which just seemed like such a, a, a crazy and reckless blanket statement for a very prominent U.S. politician to make. But among Democrats that you come across uh, in elected office, I'm assuming that's not a particularly rare sentiment, this notion that illegal immigrants 
uh, are not an issue for criminality. This this is, you know, you, you tell us your personal story, which obviously uh, sheds truth and light on this. But the Democratic Party is very invested in this storyline that there's there's really no problem when it comes to criminality in the illegal alien community. That's exactly right. They're so invested. They just can't even begin to seem to hear the truth. I mean, you know, the truth is as we tell it. But for, for Nancy Pelosi, you know, I fully expected that out of her. She did a pretty good job of recovering. I think it threw her for a loop. But it's just a standard blanket, uh, you know, um, suggestion or what, what she said is, you know, um, Kate Steinle was in her own San Francisco. And we know he, he was deported four or five times and back to kill Kate Steinle right there in San Francisco. So what she said is just absolutely not true. And I think that they don't want you to know this is happening on a daily basis. They want it to sound like, you know, we're offering up sanctuary for these poor, poor people. And that's some of that is true, but not all of it is true. And you're going to have to hear both sides to real, you know, to even recognize which side you, you know, you want to risk. Do you want to risk your family for another family to come here illegally, come to a sanctuary city, be able to break the law and not get in trouble for it? I mean, are you willing to risk your own kids for that? Now, Laura, I know you're chairman of Enforce the Law, and everyone can go to enforcethelaw.org to learn more about what your organization does. But there are some major immigration policy issues that are getting attention right now because of the Trump administration. And there is a battle brewing over sanctuary cities specifically. I know that uh, over the weekend when Fox News' Bill O'Reilly sat down with President Trump to speak about this issue, uh, the president said, that he would consider pulling some federal funding from sanctuary cities. Uh, where does your organization stand on that, and what do you, what steps do you think should be taken in order to rein in these these areas of, sort of self declared lawlessness that decide that they're just not going to uh, they're not going to comply with federal immigration laws? It's a shame, but we're going to have to to defund sanctuary cities. I mean, if they would go along and follow the laws that they sort of uphold. You wouldn't have to do that, but that's where it hurts them. Money is where it hurts. I mean, it's what it, it's what makes it go around, and we're going to have to do that to and to make them just enforce current laws and uphold the laws. Nobody gets sanctuary from a law. I mean, how what a slippery slope to be on to give a certain percentage of people sanctuary from obeying the law. You or I would not get it, nor would any other American. It's absurd to think that anybody in this country can get sanctuary. Now, on the issue of the uh, the executive order on uh, that, that Donald Trump has recently signed as president, dealing with uh, Muslim majority nations and refugees and, and asylum, uh, do, does enforce the law? Does your organization take a position on that aspect of immigration, or do you really just focus on our southern border and uh, interior and domestic enforcement? I think that, that what he's doing is correct. You're going to have to stop the flow at some point. You cannot even assess who's in this country until we stop the flow. You know, they float around this 11 million number that's been floated around for years and years and years. That's not a true number. They're using that number from a census bureau. And you can't expect to think that people have you know, snuck across the border, come in here, are hiding, and not telling us who they are, and yet they're going to fill out a government census bureau. So there's no, nobody really knows, and we're going to have to stop the flow before you can even assess what's here and start, you know, we can at least start deporting mass deportations of the, uh, you know, people that have already convicted of crimes here. Let's get them out now. You know, we've got to enforce the border and stop the flow. That's the first thing we have to do. Then you can assess who's here and who can or cannot come in. 
How would you assess the Trump administration so far on the issues, the immigration issues that uh, are so near and dear to your heart and that you're spending so much of your time trying to advocate for change? Do you think the Trump administration is doing a good job? And, and are you expecting uh, are you expecting them to follow through on promises made during the campaign trail? Absolutely. I think that he is following through on it. You know, it's going to be a process, but he's getting it started uh, in these first few few days. And so I, I thank him um, so much for doing that. I believe he's following through on what he promised he'd do. It is going to take a while. There's going to be a process, but he's got to get started. We have to stop the flow into this country. We cannot continue to give away America to foreigners just because we feel sympathy for them. It, it's a never-ending. It would be never-ending. We've got to stop it. I think Mr. Trump in the White House is our only chance, and we've got to do it now. I think he's starting that right now. Laura Wilkerson is chairman of Enforce the Law. You can learn more about her advocacy and her organization at enforcethelaw.org. Laura, we really appreciate you making the time today. Thank you for uh, calling us. Thank you for having me. Team, the uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. I have to say, on the, uh, the sanctuary city uh, fight that looks like it's it's going to happen relatively soon. There are some complexities here. Uh, the funding the the funding that would be the most immediate uh, for the administration to withdraw um, would would at least to me it would seem to be very clear that it would be the uh, law enforcement foundation funding, um, and that this would be uh, that that's where you are most likely. I think to be in a situation where you could actually see a withdrawal of funds, a withdrawal of money. So uh, we'll have to see, team. We'll have to keep a close eye on it. That may not be enough in and of itself in order to get a, a change in uh, a change in what's going on. So um, that is one lever. We'll have to see if they can use more. 888-900-3393, team. We'll be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Show. Team, we're joined now by military historian and author James Steskall. He is the author of the upcoming new book, Special Forces Berlin, Clandestine Cold War Operations of the U.S. Army's Elite. And uh, James served in the U.S. Army, first training as an airborne infantryman and serving with the 82nd Airborne. He then qualified for Special Forces and completed the arduous Q course to win his Green Beret. Uh, James, thank you very much for calling in. Hi, Buck. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. So tell us a bit about your book, uh, Special Forces Berlin, Clandestine Cold War Operations of the U.S. Army's Elite. It's coming out here soon. What, what, what can we expect? What can you tell us about it? Well, first off, uh, it's a very long title, but um, it's a book that uh, a lot of people said that uh, I shouldn't or couldn't be uh, couldn't write because the uh, Department of Defense wouldn't permit it. Um, it was actually one of the most classified units in, uh, in the American Army in the service for, for that. But, um, you know, persistence uh, overcomes roadblocks, and after five years we got it, um, we got it published. It's really kind of two histories. Um, it's the history of the, um, the classified special forces unit, which uh, operated undercover in Berlin uh, during the Cold War from 1956 until just after the wall fell. 
1990. But it's also um, it's also the story of uh, some of the unorthodox men who served there, um, guys who understood that they would probably be shot uh, as spies if they were captured. Because uh, uh, and I was one of them. But uh, we all operated uh, in civilian clothes, and um, uh, we prepared for war. And so you go into some detail in this book. You, you said the Defense Department, they didn't want to talk about this. This was a classified unit? Well, it was a classified unit. Um, it was inactivated in 1990. Uh, when I started looking into writing it, um, it had been almost 25 years since then. And um, I figured uh, push the envelope. Um, there were no histories written about the book um, or about the unit. Um the uh, a lot of the documents were destroyed, and uh, quite frankly, uh, most of the guys that uh, served there, um, many didn't want to talk about it. But uh, the other half um, are uh, dying off, and it was a story that uh, if we didn't put it down on paper, it would never be um, it would never be told. Um, I went to the Center for Military History, the U.S. Army's uh, center over at Fort McNair, and um, Quite frankly, um, there was two. There's actually two units, um, but um, they did not have any information on it, and they couldn't tell me anything. So, um, my knowledge of the unit from serving there, uh, interviewing guys, and the few bits of paper that I were was able to find uh, uh, around the United States and some in Germany, uh, put the put the story together. And there, tell me again. There, uh, they come from the office, or the originally they're from the Office of Strategic Services. Tell me a bit about this uh, non-conventional or unconventional unit here, and and uh, what its mission set was, and where it comes from. Well, the the history of Special Forces uh, really goes back to the Office of Strategic Services, which was uh, basically a civilian agency during World War II that was um, fighting in Europe and uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, against the uh, Germans and the Japanese. Um, after the war, it was shut down, but uh, in the 1950s, uh, some military officers uh, decided that conventional warfare was not the only thing that uh, the Americans should be able to do. And so they went back to the lessons learned from World War II and um, took it on to create Army Special Forces. And the first of the units was... Uh, the 10 special forces that went to bad tolls Germany, and they were still in Germany, as a matter of fact. And uh, then the 77th uh, that came along shortly after. Berlin uh, was six detachments, six A-teams. Uh, an A-team is 12 men um, that was selected and sent to Berlin uh, in 1956. Um, their mission was first to stay undercover. It was a clandestine unit. Uh, they were portrayed as something else, but really it was a special forces unit. Uh, no one other than the commander and his staff uh, knew that they were there. Their mission was basically to create havoc um, when and if the Soviets uh, and the Warsaw Pact decided to uh, attack uh, Western Europe. And that was to go underground um, wearing civilian clothes or, in some cases, um, enemy uniforms, sabotage railways, command posts, uh, and create as much havoc as they possibly could to uh, slow and distract the, the, the Soviet uh, army 
as they tried to move forward. All right. James uh, Stezkal, a military historian, author of the upcoming book, Special Forces Berlin, Clandestine Cold War Operations of the U.S. Army Elite. Quite a title. Sure, it's quite a book. James, we really appreciate you joining us, and thank you for your service, sir. Well, thank you, and good luck with your new syndicated show. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, sir. Uh, team, phone lines are uh, are open here, 888-900-3393. Uh, we have much to discuss, so uh, do do give a call. Uh, also, I have to say, I, I thought the Melissa McCarthy impression of um, of uh, Spicer was actually pretty funny. I thought it was pretty good, all things considered. I have to say, I thought it was, uh, it was amusing. Um, and it's rare for me to think that anything on SNL is uh, particularly worthy of uh, of praise. I think that SNL usually is really political and weird and can be very annoying. You had that sort of homage they paid to Obama in his last day in office, which was, or for his last day in office, which was just utterly North Korea-like to me. I thought that was quite strange. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have to say, I, I think it was... In, in retrospect, looking at all of this, I, say to, I just say to myself, wow, maybe now that they have an administration um, that they are so opposed to, they'll actually do some funny stuff sometimes, although I'm sure it will also cross over, as it already has in some cases, into the sort of mean-spirited side of things and will be uh, quite, uh, quite um, beyond what we would just expect for comedy purposes. Uh, all right, team, we've got a big second hour planned here on The Buck Sexton Show. So we're going to hit into a break, and I'm going to be coming back in just a few minutes. So uh, stay with me. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.